0: Well, scientists, uh, speaking the language of mathematics, have described the beginning of the universe in their terminology, but they've translated it uh, to us mere mortals by telling us of the Big Bang. (laughs) The universe uh, began, so the math tells us, or maybe I should say, so the math tells them We have to take their word for it, but the universe began as almost infinitely small, at almost an infinite heat, and almost infinite pressure, And, and sometimes they go so far as to say that the smallness and the heat and the pressure were infinite, but they usually qualify it with that word nearly. But those were the conditions when all that there is exploded into existence. The universe had, according to science, a beginning to the chagrin of many an atheist. The theory of the cosmos, as described by Einstein and those who followed him, is a beautiful and intricate, demanding a level of precision or fine-tuning that could only come from purpose and design. As one scientist put it, it was an immensely powerful yet carefully planned and controlled release of matter, energy, space, and time within the strict confines of carefully fine-tuned physical constants and laws that govern their behavior and an in interaction. The power and the care that, that this explosion reveals exceed human potential for design by multiple orders of magnitude. All that's just said that is that there's design there beyond what any human being could do. And the force of that explosion, the amount of the heat, the rate of the expansion, uh, had to be precise within the smallest degree. Too much of anything, the planet, and the planets and the stars would not have formed, and too little, only neutron ch- stars or black holes would exist. And exactly the right ratio of heavy and light elements needed for life would not have been attained, not without that immense level of precision. This fine-tuning required by the creation of the universe, according to the mathematicians, in all of its intricate parts, has been described as more exquisite and precise than a blindfolded man picking at random the one marked proton, the little thing inside the nucleus of the atom, from all of the protons of all of the stars and the planets and the stars And the sun's and the matter of the observable universe, more exquisite than that by a power of 10 to the 43rd times more precise than that. So it's claimed. And maybe those numbers boggle your mind. They do mine. But the implications of that are so astounding and clear, so much so that only those who have closed their mind to it fail to see there was a maker who began it all. The very beginning of the Bible, the first book, the first chapter, the first verse. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In a simple language, more meaningful to the heart of all humans, God tells us that he made everything which exists. Now, science seems to support that truth. But if the science of our present knowledge were to be overthrown tomorrow, we would still stand firm on the word of God. For we know the one who not only could pick out that one proton from all the other protons, but the one who marked all of them for use according to his purpose, the one who also made them all out of nothing. You know, the math of the Big Bang describes Four dimensions of space—height, width, depth—that uh, that and time. This is the other one that, that kind of unwound in that explosion, unfolding, uncurling, as the universe began expanding right after its creation. While well, there remains at least six. Other dimensions that are tightly curled up, distributed evenly throughout the creation. And this too, they tell us, was necessary for life to exist on our earth. And and scientists speculate on what kinds of things would be possible if one could enter those other dimensions or if they could be uncurled. And yet long before the scientists worked their math, and began their speculations, God has been revealing to humankind that he is beyond all things, existing beyond whatever dimensions he brought into being as he made the world. Isaiah tells us, he sits enthroned above this circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy, and he spreads them out like a tent to live in. And Jeremiah affirms God made the earth by his power. He founded the world by his wisdom and he stretched out the heavens by his understanding. The psalmist asks, Who is like the Lord, the one who sits enthroned on high, who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth? And the New Testament adds its amen to those words in powerful ways. And at the same time, It hints of what is yet to come for the believer. For Jesus walked on water. And he enabled Peter to do the same, at least briefly, before his faith flagged. And after the resurrection, Jesus entered the locked room where the disciples were cowering, not by means of a door or a window, and without knocking down walls. He simply entered, and there he was. And when he was taken up into heaven... He disappeared in the clouds, and he promised to come back to us in the same manner. And those who know them will no longer be bound by the strictures of this world. We will all meet him in the air, and so we will be together with the Lord forever. What the scientists predict, Jesus does, whether by using other dimensions or in some other way. And you and I, those who belong to Christ, already exist in a dimension beyond this creation, though we would never know it if we were not told. The Word tells us in Ephesians, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realm. Beyond this space and time continuum that we know so well, we are seated with Christ in the heavenlies. And the church, well... It's no mere human organization. It is connected to the internal in ways beyond our ken. The Word tells us it is the body of Christ, the fullness of Him who fills everything in every way. The Church is His design. He who created and sustains and rules the universe. It's how God works in our world today. To the church, God has given gifts, spiritual gifts, gifts of his own design, according to his own purpose. To each one who becomes his child through faith in Christ, God gives gifts. And for many weeks now, we have been talking about these different gifts, and again today, we will turn our attention there for what I believe will be the last time in this particular series unless God directs otherwise. And we're going to consider these uh, particular gifts that I have called gifts of space and time. They really are the most common and general of all the spiritual gifts. But they are not the leftovers, given because the giver has nothing else to offer. They are from the great giver who knows how to give good gifts to those he loves who gave the greatest gift of all, when he gave us his Son. They may very well be the most important of all his gifts. We're going to begin, as we have in the past, simply by uh, briefly trying to talk about them, about each of these remaining seven gifts, and try to understand them and, and see how they fit into God's overall design. And yet before we can go on, I just need to remind you that the gifts are given to each believer if you put your faith in Christ you have spiritual gifts and they're given for the good of the church and the church is to impact the world the first gift on our list this morning comes from first Peter chapter 4 and verse 9 where Peter instructs us to offer hospitality to one another without grumbling And he goes on in verse 10, each of you should uh, use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in his various forms. That's a good reminder for us, that all the gifts are given so we can serve God and serve others. Now, I don't suppose that there's any real question in your minds today what is meant by hospitality, is there? But if you were to try to use other terms to communicate what you meant by that word, you would use words like welcome, or friendliness, kindness, generosity, the thing about this gift is with so many others is that we all ought to practice hospitality, and yet, as we 've known from our previous studies, no one has all the gifts, and there isn't one gift for everyone so So, what makes this a gift to someone? Well, well, maybe the one thing that makes it stand out is just this simple. Uh, readiness with which people, some people do it. I mean, they just do it. They just are ready. They want to do it. My goodness, <laughs> the hinges on Ginger's door in her house must just about be worn out by now from all of the people coming in and going out because of her hospitality. But I believe it's more than that. You see, people with that gift like helping others to connect too, right? And, and so they don't just open their own houses. They'll open your house too if you let them. <laughs> I mean, with your permission, of course. I mean, they value so deeply. They see it more than most of us do. The things which happen, the fellowship which we experience when, when we're with God, God's people, that they want everyone to know it. So they'll say things like, uh, why don't you get together with that new young couple over there? They have kids about your age. Or, or you know, that couple there, I think he just retired from work and he's lonely. They need to plug in. Maybe you should get together with him. And, you know, they don't limit the hospitality to those inside the church. <laughs> they invite anyone <laughs> to come and sharing the good time. Often, it's not always true, but often you, you find them involved with the social activities of the church on the fellowship team or the work welcome committee. You see, we all want to be hospitable. We all try, but they excel at it. They're good at it. They love it. And you know what? Because they do, they inspire us to do it, to try to do it. Some of you may have that gift, but you just haven't discovered it yet. That's where some of you are. You don't know for sure what your gifts are. But God will tell you if you ask. The next gift we're going to look at is also found in First Peter chapter 4, this time in verse 11, where we read this. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. Now, I'm going to come back to this one a little later and go to the next one listed here. Uh, That's the one I want to consider now. And it says, if anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides. And then Peter goes on to remind us that as we use our gifts, we honor God when he writes this, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. The gift we're looking at right this moment is the gift of serving. And, of course, we're all supposed to serve. We're all commanded to serve, and Christ is our example in serving. But what makes this gift different than what we all do? Well, again, as with the other gifts, it's the willingness and the readiness to serve that indicates someone who's blessed with this particular gift. What happens is is that whenever there is a need, these people want to help. Uh, they they most so much want to serve that sometimes they overcommit. They say yes to too many things. Usually, as they grow in their faith, they usually become more aware of the difficulties that they've gotten themselves into. Uh, but they become more aware. They learn that they can't do everything. There's some things they can't do, and there are things that they're good at. But I think the thing that distinguishes this gift from the next one that we're going to look at, which is the gift of helping, is that they almost always see beyond the immediate need. So if, for example, um, they become aware of someone who uh, has limited resources and and they need help repairing their automobile, uh, hopefully they know that they can't do it if they don't have that skill but they want to help that particular person, but they want to help anyone else. They want to figure out a way how we can help other people who are in that same position who might need that same kind of help. So someone needs firewood, so let's have a firewood ministry. The children need Christian input in their lives, so let's start a preschool or let's start an Iwana program. Well, What's so important about this? Uh, those that have this gift? They don't just ask other people to do it. They don't tell the pastors and the leadership that we need it. They do it. (laughs) They jump in with both feet and thank God for them. You know, there are so many needs out there that no one church can meet them all, but we ought to be meeting some of them, right? So how do we know which ones? Well, the fact of the matter is the best ministries don't always come from the pastor's office. Sometimes they do, but the greatest majority of successful ministries in any church occur when someone with this gift sees a need and they answer God's call pastor might instigate that, and yet even when he does, when that happens and it's successful, because the person was already chosen and called and placed in that church by a God almighty. The gift of serving. Seeing need and filling it and and going beyond to meet that need for other people. The next gift on our list we're going to jump over to 1 Corinthians Chapter 12 and verse 28, um, which we've looked at several times in this course of study. Uh, but there's one gift from that verse that we haven't looked at yet, and it fits nicely in our list right here. That's why I'm going to it. And it's the gift of helping, or sometimes translated as helps. So let me read the text to refresh your memory. And God has placed in the church, first of all, prophet—I mean, apostles, uh, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance and of different kinds of tongues. And out of that list, in verse 28, we have talked about everything there except the gift of helping. So can I repeat myself? (laughs) You might as well give me your permission because I'm going to do it anyway. But just as with all the other uh, gifts that we have, every one of us, we need to be ready to help when help is needed, don't we? Whether you think you have that gift or not, shouldn't you be ready to help? And not having it doesn't get you off the hook when help is needed. But this gift of helping goes beyond merely answering the call when the call goes out. Most of us, when we near, hear, hear that someone needs help, we're going to help them if we can. And those were this gift. <laughs> there They're always helping others. They look for opportunities to help. You know one of the things that they say often? They say this. Just tell me what to do. Just point me in the right direction. Or here, let me help. See, nothing gives them more pleasure than coming alongside you to help you do what you're doing and once those people are told what to do and shown what to do, they set out to accomplish the task uh, to help you to do what needs to be done. They don't care what the task is. They don't care how dirty or hard it is. They aren't phased by the boredom even because they're fulfilling God's purpose for themselves and exercising that gift and they get his pleasure for doing so. And they certainly don't mind and usually prefer being behind the scenes. You know, the greatest amount of ministry which goes on in the church and outside of it is done by people with this gift. And without them, church would be dead in the water. Now am I moving too fast? Are you guys with me? I'm not talking too much too fast? Loud enough? Okay. Wanna <laughs> go back if we could. The first Peter and talk about the gift we jumped over. And that's the gift of speaking. Let me read the first part of it again. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. Now, that, I think, uh, is probably good advice to all of us. Um, When we talk, we ought to remember that we represent God, if we're Christians, in our actions and in our speech. But that's not what's meant by this gift. So what does it mean? (laughs) Well, it doesn't mean someone who talks a lot... (laughs) Someone who has this gift might actually talk a lot. Maybe the simple definition of this gift would be the ability to speak publicly, and that's the key. They can stand up and speak in front of people, but in their speaking, they're furthering the work of the kingdom. So most pastors need this gift, though not all. I mean, you can have a pastor pastor of caring who, who visits people in the hospital and the shut-ins and that kind of thing who may not need that gift. But most pastors have it, I think. And teachers all, I think, need some measure of this gift. But other people besides pastors and teachers have this gift. There are people who can stand up in front of groups of others and talk. And, and they may not be teaching, and, and, they, and they, they may not be preaching, but they're communicating things which are important for facilitating activities that are, in one way or another, honor God. And, and uh, can I give you three examples of people in this church who I think have this gift? Uh, there are others, but these three uh, will give you an idea of how broad this gift is. This is one of Webb Lippert's many gifts. I, I mean, you think just for a moment about him when he does the Ministry Minute. From that uh, ministry by Webb, uh, using his gift, we've learned about people who are doing things in this church that we may never have known about otherwise. And we've been reminded of other ministries that are happening which we needed reminding of. And there's Matt Frank. And his easygoing and humorous approach to emceeing an event. Yeah, It just makes you feel right at home and his sister-in-law, Selinda, who, who broke, I think, the only shy bone she ever had, <laughs> and who can make you laugh in a minute and cry the next. You see, all these people have that particular gift, and they honor God when they use it. Possible that some of you here may have this gift, but you don't know it because of your fear. Speaking in public, it's kept you from discovering it. I'm going to tell you, if that's the case, you don't have anything to worry about because God is bigger than your fears. And he usually manages, uh, in one way or another, to bring you around to his way of looking at things. If you have that gift, he's going to put you where you're going to use it, even if that scares you right now. Romans chapter 12 where we're going to turn next. We're going to find the last three gifts that we're considering this morning. Many of the gifts listed here in this text we've talked about already in previous times together. I'm going to begin reading in verse 6 to give us the context. We all have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. Another good reminder the gifts are given as an expression of God's grace. And we read on, if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy according to your faith. We've already talked about this gift. It's appropriate to uh, recall that all that we do when we use these gifts must be done in faith. And it goes on to say, if serving, then serve, if teaching, then teach, both of which we have looked at in the past. And that brings us to verse 8, our next gift on the list. And it is to encourage. If that's your gift, then give encouragement. And that's where we're going to stop right here for a moment. Everyone needs encouragement now and then. And everyone can give encouragement. But we all know, don't we, there are times and circumstances when we don't know what to say. And we're afraid that anything we might say would seem trite. At times like that, your presence and friendship and your simple and short prayer are all that's needed. And that's often true even for people with this gift. But those with this gift often, not always, but often, find the right things to say when the rest of us can't find any words. And yet they know instinctively, because they had this gift, when to stay silent. Possibly is because they have this deep and practiced empathy. They're gifted, but they've also learned, they've been taught to rejoice with those who rejoice and to mourn with those who are sorrow. They, they, they never ignore. They never try to cover up the negative things that are happening. They don't try to change the subject. They never offer false hope. If they speak at all, they will speak God's truth to your heart. They have the ability to see those negative things uh, that are happening squarely and fully and yet not be completely overwhelmed by them so, as so many of us are. You find them in the valleys with you. but They bring with them the scent of mountain air and fresh breezes even when they say nothing. And yet it's not just in the valley or the hard times, uh, not just in the happy times of life that the encourager does his or her work. They do their work Always, always, they spur you on to stand They stand in your corner. They always root for you. And their words of encouragement are real. They're never empty. They don't offer attaboys <laughs> when they praise you. It's genuine, and you know it. So our culture has made an art form out of empty and vapid praise and meaningless of words. But the encouraging words and presence and gestures of these people, the things that they do in the course of their encouragement, they go to the heart and feed the soul and lift the spirit. And when you're, not, when you're not doing what you should be doing, they'll tell you that too. Not in anger or in arrogance, but because they really want to get you back on the right path and succeed. Now have I painted kind of too pretty a picture here, I mean encouragers are sinners just like the rest of us. Sometimes they fail to use their gift. Sometimes they may not even know they have it. Sometimes they are unaware of what you need. They fail as often as the rest of us. But how glad we are that God has given many people that gift. How often if we think about it you and I have benefited from it. Glory be to God. Which brings us back to Romans 8. The next gift on our list is the gift of leading. And we read from the beginning of the verse, if your gift is what we just talked about to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, which we already talked about an earlier today, then give generously. If it's to lead, and that's our term, do it diligently. In our world today, there are all kinds of things which the world calls leaders, all kinds of people The world calls leader. There are those who know what they want and go after what they want, who make everyone do what they want and run over anyone in the way to get what they want so they can have what they want. And the world calls those people leaders. Their greed is their God and they spare no one or nothing to worship it. And then there are the trendsetters who often out of the, natural rebellion of their human nature which they refuse to curb. As often as not, they do something or make something outrageous which those who wish to be thought of as hip or chic or, or chill, whatever the right word is to use in these days, these people adopt as though they were doing something important which sets them apart, all of whom are doing very same thing and thinking themselves different and important. They're the politicians of the world who look, sw- look to see which way the crowd is going and hurry to get in front but their eyes are ever fixed behind them just in case the crowd decides to go a different way. They know all is lost unless they get back out in front of that crowd again. But a true leader, a Christian leader is not someone trying to get his or her own way or advance his or her own cause Someone with the gift of leadership wants to advance the kingdom. Often, not not always, they see what needs to be done, but that's not what makes them a leader. Leaders take responsibility. Responsibility for projects, yeah. But more importantly, they take responsibility for other people. They want to see other people succeed in whatever they're doing. They do what they can to help keep them on track. They call them back when they wander off. And there's nothing about the boss about them. They they don't think in terms of authority, right? They have it, but they don't think that way. They're too taken up with thinking about how to make things work and achieve success. And when by the authority given to them, and they know and understand the profound truth that all authority belongs to God, and they have to make changes of some sort which are not pleasant, they will do it without any animus, but with the greatest care and concern for people involved. People are made in the image of God. You know what a real leader does? He you know, She goes into battle with you. you know, she walks with you in spirit if they can't do it in body. Because they follow Christ so closely and diligently, they inspire other people to follow also. It's not the great vision or the flowing words or the people skills that make someone a good leader. It's not the gift of leadership. It's a heart given to God over and over and over again. It's a determination to follow God wherever he leads, uh, yielding to the will of God at whatever cost to help other people advance the kingdom. That's someone you can follow. No one has this gift as a We're all a work in progress, but that is what God is busy doing in the life of someone who has that gift. And that brings us to the last gift that we're going to consider today, and I'm going to be very brief here. It's mentioned also in Romans chapter 12, the last part of verse 8. We read there, if your gift is to show mercy, then do it cheerfully. You know, if your gift is mercy, then you will aim to do it cheerfully. And once again, We have to come to that understanding that we all have to show mercy. The Lord's brother James tells us in the book which bears his name, judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. You and I who have received mercy must be merciful. But those would just get by the way they live their lives. Because they live without grudges because they are accepting and forgiving, because they lift up the broken and the sinner both. They inspire us to live like that, to live lives of mercy. We're moved to embrace the wrecked, the shattered, and the ruined, because we've been reminded of the mercy that Christ showed us when he embraced us and all of our wreckage and our shatteredness and our ruined state. The gift of mercy inspires mercy in the rest of us. So now that we have uh, talked about all of that, these gifts (laughs) of space and time, let me ask you, what is your gift? Do you know? If not, then you should ask God, he's made a promise that when we pray and we ask, he will answer. And and he not only answers our prayers, but he'll lead us where we need to go if we're willing to follow. In the meantime, I would say something to you, and I've said this before. Those of you who aren't sure what your gifts are, I just would encourage you to look around. Look around for something that needs doing. It may be that the very thing you see is the very thing God wanted you to see. It may not be a gift, but it'll get you there. The gifts of space and time, hospitality, serving, helping, speaking, encouraging, leading, and mercy. The most common of the gifts, but they are not left over. They're gifts from the great giver who knows how to give good gifts to those he loves, who gave the greatest gift of all when he gave his son to us. These gifts are as necessary to the church and the world as the gifts of the offices of apostle and pastor. They are as powerful as those gifts we think of as gifts of power because they are constant and continuous because they are displayed in so many different people. The, their power is of a different order. If the gifts of power are like a hammer striking a rock, these are like the ever-increasing pressure of a mighty flowing river which sweeps everything along as it rolls on its way. While well, the gifts of power are precise expressions. These gifts are power spread out over space and time. Those things which resist the hammer blow often give way to the might of the river. Without these gifts, the impact of the other gifts would be stalled before they got started. They'd be limited in scope. They would be seen as anomalies. These gifts complete the plan of God and reveal His wisdom, His power, and His steadfast ways. You can't call them secret gifts or stealth gifts for they're visible and pervasive as the sky or the land. But maybe for that very reason, they get past the defenses of the defensive and they demonstrate that spiritual life and a relationship with the one true God and the grace to live authentically is meant for everyone. You have been called you have been gifted I say to you live life fill your cup and go forth and make a difference for Christ in this dark and dying world would you pray with me please thanks Lord for your grace to us, for your goodness expressed to us in so very many ways. Thank you, Lord, that um, you created the world that we live in and you sustain it by the power of your word. And your word was what's spoken into our hearts that has given us life eternal. And it's your word that we've heard today. Help us, Father always to embrace what you say. I pray for my friends here. I pray for your grace today. For those who aren't yet sure of what it is that you've called them to do, I pray that they would discover it soon, that they would embrace it completely, that they would serve your people and the world around them because of it. And for those of us who already have some sense of what we are called to do, May we never uh, grow tired of it. May we never take it for granted. May we embrace your calling in our lives and so bring you honor and glory. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.